Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a sandwich made of maggots, a twisted tree with the soul of a serial killer trapped inside it, a coffee maker that can only do decaf, and an alien <laughs> from the movie Aliens. But all he wants to do is sit on the couch and watch daytime TV and does not pay his share of rent. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Roxy, I am sorry for telling that alien he could stay with us. <sighs> Man, Mikey, Ugh. you let it slip once because you were scared he was going to eat you and now he's going to take advantage of you and walk all over you for the rest of your life. I hope you're happy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm prepared. <laughs> all right, Mikey, let's start out as we always do with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, I lost an entire day of my life. Oh, no. To Marvel Snap. Marvel Snap. It strikes again. Mikey, you just can't stop playing Marvel Snap. I hate Marvel Snap. I deleted it again from my phone. It was bad. I just like woke up and I was like, oh, yeah, while well, the coffee's brewing, I'll just play one game. And then I blinked. And it was night. Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was gone. I just sna- came to. There were two men in business suits that I'd never seen before slain on my kitchen floor. I don't know how they got here. After I cleaned them up, I was just like, I got to get rid of it. Marvel Snap is done. It's done. It's out of my life. It's got to be gone. I think you're uh, using it as a substitute to maybe, I don't know, commit hitman style crimes. You, you had to clean up it's- these dead bodies in your kitchen. It's Sloppy. definitely distracting me from some uncomfortable emotional truths. <laughs> I think that much is clear. <laughs> but yeah, it's gone. It, don't worry, Roxy. I, Marvel Snap is gone. After the horrors of that day this week, it's never coming back on my phone. I won't allow it back in my life. What was scary to you this week? I think we need to make a sign, Mikey, that's going to say it's been this many days since Mikey has uninstalled <laughs> Marvel Snap. <laughs> like a workplace hazard sign. And I can tap the sign. <laughs> I need that sign tapped. (laughs) Uh, So the scariest thing that happened to me this week was I played a scary video game. uh, And it scared me. Which is interesting because there isn't like necessarily like an enemy chasing you or anything. It's called the Complex Found Footage. Okay. It is a game that is based on the Backrooms. I think we've talked about the Backrooms off camera before. I don't know if we've really talked about it on the podcast. Um, yeah, but so you—it's like an urban legend, right? About be- what's going on behind the scenes at the mall. Kind of. It's basically like you can no clip out of reality, and then you end up in this liminal space that is outside of like normal reality. I guess it has like its own rules, its own kind of non-Euclidean structure, um, mm. and it's also a collaborative lore project by this point online with people just coming up with stories and everything. It's essentially like a creepypasta urban legend type thing. Um, okay. The, Scary. But uh, one of the contributors to this lore made a game that like, Mikey, the way it looks, it really does look like a VHS tape. It doesn't just look like somebody put a filter on a thing. It looks... <laughs> really real the way they did it that's cool and there's not really any sound you're just kind of like exploring it 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 captures it great because so many of these games that have tried to do like old backrooms type of games they have like a monster chasing you there's no sort of enclosing impending dread or just like the both fear and kind of like wonderment of discovering and like journeying through these weird spaces that don't make any sense that give you like this sense of Mm -hmm. nostalgia so it does such a good 
job at like kind of mounting on the dread and curiosity as you're going through it. And it is like very creepy. So then when they throw things at you and everything, like it gets mm-hmm. you that much better, I'd say. So I, w- I don't cool. want to say too much more than that in case you or anybody else listening to it plays it. But uh, very effective. It's not easy for a game to like make me feel unsettled or spooked. And uh, this game did that without even having a scary monster running at you. Yeah, normally you're a, a, a rock. You're a hardened warrior going into these scary things we watch together. And uh, that's cool that something got to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of things-, things that get to us, <laughs> the demon bot is slinking into the room. Demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2020 remake of The Invisible Man. Did you watch the film or are your souls forfeit? Uh, yes, I did watch The Invisible Man. Did you, Roxy? I did. And uh, thank you, Demon Bot, for coming in here, not as an invisible demon bot, as you could have done to be on theme with the movie. I appreciate you lessening our anxiety there. Wait, I'm not invisible. I am going to have words with the mad scientist that sold me this thing. So he was trying to spook us that way. He Um. was trying to be invisible. That's the thing about the invisible man. (laughs) If you're not invisible, your shtick is weird. (laughs) Uh Just a normal man just like sneaking around a house. (laughs) Standing in a corner leering at you thinking you can't see, but you totally can. (laughs) The dad and his daughter are just like watching Rick and Morty. (laughs) There's just a man. They're like, we see you. (laughs) Your your battery is dead. You didn't plug it in before you went to bed. So yes, The Invisible Man was our movie this week. The one from 2020, not the original one from a year I can't remember. 1933. Oh, was it really? Wow, they were... Uh, I know I know that because I kept Googling how many kills in The Invisible Man and only the 1933 version kept popping up. <laughs> well, hey, now you uh, know some trivia info, Mikey. If you were ever asked when that trivia. movie came out, uh, <laughs> you can answer it immediately. So how about for everybody listening up at the basement door, we give them a plot summary for The Invisible Man 2020, Mikey. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Protagonist Cecilia carefully and silently escapes her house. She is scared for her life and appears to be taking only what she needs to survive, like her ID cards and other important things. As she leaves, she wants to spare her dog the shock collar that it is wearing. But when she removes it, the dog bumps into a car and sets off its car alarm. This is when Cecilia's abusive boyfriend Adrian wakes up. Cecilia runs to the road where her sister Emily meets her and picks her up. However, before they leave, Adrian approaches, smashing his fist through the window and tries to choke Cecilia for daring to escape. Emily guns it and they get away. A few weeks later, Cecilia is staying with a childhood friend, Detective James, and his teen daughter, Sydney. Emily shows up suddenly and tells them that Adrian has killed himself. There's a reading of the will, and Adrian's brother, Tom, tells her that she will get $5 million as long as she doesn't commit a crime or is deemed mentally unwell. Whenever there's two reasons for something to go wrong, you know, at least one of them's happening. Mm -hmm. Right after this moment, Cecilia feels an unseen presence in the house with her, with several odd occurrences going on, like footprints on a blanket and a chair that feels occupied. They all make her feel paranoid. Cecilia tries to move on, going to a job interview. However, her artwork portfolio is missing, and she passes out in the middle of the interview. Apparently, she has diazepam in her system. 
the drug you take in Metal Gear Solid so you don't shake when you're trying to use the sniper rifle. Here's the thing. Cecilia never took any diazepam and even left the bottle of diazepam that she had when she ran away from Adrian. This is also the first time I ever heard of diazepam. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Metal Gear Solid. Yep. Gotta be good at sniping a drug. What's her name? Sniper Wolf. Sniper Wolf. Sniper Sniper Wolf. (laughs) Uh, Later, Cecilia finds the bottle with a bloodied handprint in her bathroom. This is the sign that Cecilia needed to confirm her suspicion. Adrian didn't die. He merely became invisible. He was an engineer in the field of optics, and she is convinced he has done all of this to torment her. That's just the kind of guy he was slash is. He always manipulated situations so she looked like the crazy one, even when she was telling the truth. Emily receives a threatening letter from Cecilia telling her she wants nothing to do with her and wishes she died. However, Cecilia did not write this email, but when she checks her inbox, damn, that email is there. It came from her account. Emily wants nothing to do with Cecilia now, and no one believes Cecilia. When an invisible force hits Sydney, Sydney is convinced that Cecilia's done it. Which is weird. She's like looking at her and then gets struck and is like, why did you hit me? She's like, I was standing here. Yeah, and she's like on the floor too. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Far enough away. Yeah. This leads James and Sydney to leave Cecilia alone. And James says he needs to prioritize his daughter over Cecilia. Cecilia, now left alone, tries to capture the invisible Adrian she knows is there in the house with her. She eventually calls his phone and finds it in the attic above her room. As she sees this, it receives a text message saying, surprise, and she throws paint at an open attic door, which coats a figure and reveals that there is indeed someone there right behind her who has been following her. Figure runs away to wash off the paint before they can be caught by Cecilia, and then a violent fight occurs, with Cecilia being attacked by the invisible assailant. Cecilia is able to escape and call a lift to take her to Adrian's house. She investigates the lab and finds a bodysuit covered in small cameras and projectors that allows it to turn invisible. This proves not only that Adrian is alive and has orchestrated all of this, but there is more than one suit. Cecilia takes that suit that she finds and hides it in the closet. Then, someone in another suit, that is equally invisible, attacks Cecilia. She's forced to flee from the house. Now that she has proof, Cecilia convinces Emily to hear her out in a public restaurant. They meet up, and right as she's about to tell Emily everything... An invisible figure slits Emily's throat and forces the knife into Cecilia's hand. It then grips her hand around the handle so hard that she is unable to drop it until long after everyone in the restaurant sees her holding it and freaks out. Now framed for her sister's murder, Cecilia is committed to a psychiatric hospital. It's here that she also learns she's pregnant. Then Tom, Adrian's brother, who is also a lawyer, visits her to discuss how she will have nothing from Adrian's will since she has both committed a crime and is deemed unwell. Oh, man, Chekhov's uh, will conditions. Mm -hmm. Tom then drops the act and says that if Cecilia returns to Adrian and they raise the child together, he'll make it all go away. That's right. Tom helped his psycho brother stage his own suicide so he could torment his ex-girlfriend. Very, very mentally well, both of these men. (laughs) Uh, Cecilia refuses and steals a pen from Tom. Later that night, she stages a suicide attempt to draw out Adrian, who she knows is in the room with her. It works, and she is able to stab him several times with the pen, which damages the suit, and sends Adrian running. A whole mess of guards shows up, and Adrian kills a bunch of them as his suit glitches out and becomes visible at times. Cecilia grabs a gun and tries to shoot Adrian, but she's unsuccessful. 
And Adrian says that now that he can't kill her because she's pregnant, he can kill everyone she cares about. Adrian then gets in a car and heads over to James's house. Cecilia follows after him. James and Sydney then are attacked by not one, but two invisible figures. However, in the scuffle, no one seems to notice that there was more than one of them. I didn't notice that either. Oh, really? Until just now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now at the house and armed with a gun, Cecilia is able to shoot one of the invisible figures, who turns out to be Tom. Yep, Tom is a scapegoat for all of his brother's crimes now. The police storm Adrian's house and find him mysteriously tied up. And he claims that Tom held him prisoner and orchestrated all of this. However, Cecilia knows better. <laughs> In order to get a confession out of Adrian, Cecilia goes to meet him at his house and wears a wire with James on the other line listening in. Adrian tries to manipulate Cecilia and restart the cycle of abuse by love bombing and gaslighting Cecilia, all the while proclaiming his innocence. Cecilia insists that the only way Adrian can get what he wants and have her back is if he admits to everything he's done. If he confesses to killing Emily and everyone else while he was invisible. Ever the psychotic asshole, Adrian insists that Tom was behind everything and claims that he is a changed man. Not admitting to anything and then saying the word surprise in a way that lets us know he did it. <laughs> Cecilia <laughs> now knows she will never be safe as long as Adrian is around and that he is more dangerous than ever now. She excuses herself to go get cleaned up. Moments later, we see Adrian seated at the table by himself, and he then cuts his own throat with a giant-ass knife as it's caught on camera. Mm. Cecilia returns and sees this, freaking out and calling 911, all while very upset. However, she hangs up on the police and steps out of sight of the camera and stares at Adrian as his life drains away and coldly insinuates that she used his own tool against him, the invisible man suit, as he dies. James arrives to help and is able to infer what happens. He hesitates for a brief moment and then backs Cecilia up, letting her leave. We say a confident, free Cecilia who walks away with the spare suit and her dog. She's ready to start her life anew. And baby, that is The Invisible Man. That's The Invisible Man 2020. Ooh. <laughs> Mikey, what did you think of this movie? Roxy, for me, this movie is a tale of two halves. Oh, in what way? I have never had more fun with a movie than the first half of it. And then the very second that the sister's throat gets slit, I was like, oh, man, I'm too sad to enjoy this movie anymore. I was upset. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I'd say that's a testament to how much they made you care about her, I suppose. And yes. like how heartbreaking that moment is. No, it, it's very much like a, a, it's not a, a critique of the movie. Like objectively, that's the right move that makes you like. Uh, okay, she has to go for The sister is essentially the mentor of this movie. She's yeah. like older, she saves her, and for Cecilia to become a hero, she has to lose her mentor and, and step out on her own. So it had to happen. But man, I was just, I was just bummed. I was like, <laughs> listen, the first half of this movie is so silly, and the concept of an invisible man is awesome. It's so funny to be invisible. Yeah, and I mean, like... It goes to show also how you don't have to be some sort of supernatural slasher or something to be scary. Just being a normal human who has the ability to be unseen is incredibly uh -huh. dangerous. And the way that this camera work... So the camera work in this movie, I absolutely love it. The way it will shift yeah. to have just like open space where he could be or mm -hmm. could not be. 
really gets you into the mindset of the character and then really just gets like under your skin for expectation and like you kind of can't take your eyes off the screen even when there might not be anything there because you're like he could be there though what's he doing mm-hmm. what in the room could he maybe use to try and do something horrible uh you never know that's a really good call yeah like these shots are framed up as though he's in the frame yes yeah a like lot of times i was him. just like why is this shot this way and it's because there's an invisible man <laughs> Yeah, they will just sometimes cut to it. There's a part where it particularly stands out in the interrogation room where Cecilia is being asked questions and she will like look Mm -hmm. into a corner and the camera will linger on a corner and pause where she's being like, is he listening in? Is he there? What can and can I not say to these cops like to not only make Mm -hmm. them believe me, but then also so he can't use it against me possibly. Uh, that was the moment I noticed it, too. There's, like, this really bizarre shot of her where she gets so small in the frame because it, like, tilts up mm-hmm. to show the window. And it, you're ostensibly supposed to be thinking that he's in the window, which is yeah. a second pl- from the corner. So it's just, like, he could be anywhere. It's very scary. Here's what I mean when I say that uh, it's silly to be invisible. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, just the inherent idea of it is, but there's more? <laughs> what well, specifically... Like- for you in this okay movie. so this movie opens with her like making her big escape from this abusive boyfriend and she gets out and then she's afraid and we're kind of seeing her like uh afraid to leave james's house so she's just like watching from the windows and then there's a moment where she steps outside for the first time to get the mail and a jogger runs by mm-hmm. and he's like got his hood up and she like freaks out thinking it could be him which is a very reasonable reaction yeah but in my head i was just like no you can tell that's not him because that guy's visible <laughs> the the title of the movie obviously so yeah this movie just like right away tells you like he's gonna be invisible don't stress about that like he's gonna be invisible like i loved how we like don't see him making optics technology we get this little clip like this brief thing of her like looking at the frame that we will eventually find out is where he's storing his invisible man suit but the movie just trusts you they're like believe us he's gonna be invisible (laughs) Yeah, like and you know it's coming, and we know it's coming, and just everybody sit down and relax with it. As she's escaping in that opening scene, it kind of shows you everything in a way that mm. if you're not thinking about it, you don't know to look for it, which is very neat. So, like on a second watch, she will go through that room. There is four mannequins against the back wall, and then the one that is preserved in the main area. Mm. There does that mean he designed like five suits total? We don't know. Ooh. And I think there's got to be, there's three total suits as far as we know. Because there's, both of the brothers are wearing the suit at the same time, while she also has one stash in the closet at Mm -hmm. that point. So there's at least three suits that we know of that we can track in the movie. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's more, I don't know. But like those mannequins imply that, yeah, there's multiple of these. um, And yeah, this is some weirdo workshop. Like, you don't have any, like, sense of what that could be. And saying, like, oh, yeah, he he was a genius in the field of optics. Like, what does that yeah, mean? It's yeah. so general. It's, I <laughs> and, loved like, it. somehow that made like, him a lot of money. Also, like, okay. It, that is exactly as much information as I needed to believe that this man invented Invisible. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I didn't need more either. They didn't need to get super deep yeah, into it. And they didn't waste their time. He's in charge of optics. He, he can make cameras. That are good. And he did. (laughs) Can I tell you how this, (laughs) one of the many uh, infinite ways that this uh, movie differentiates itself from the H.G. Wells novel? Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming it's almost everything. (laughs) 
first of all, it's a completely different story. Uh-huh. Uh, the only thing that uh, I, I know, I don't remember a ton from the, the novel. Uh, I read it a, a number of years ago. But one thing is, in the novel, the invisible man's name is Griffin. Oh, really? And this guy's name is Adrian Griffin. That's a neat little But his back. name is Griffin, and I remember that specifically because through the first half of the book, he's like, I can't remember what exactly he's referred He's like referred to as the stranger or the man or like, <laughs> or just like mm-hmm. very generally. And then okay. halfway through the book, he just like goes to meet the scientist that he worked with, and he's like... Yeah, his name is Griffin. <laughs> it's just like this lame name that just like a dude has. Uh, so that's very funny. But in the novel, it's not that he's wearing a suit. It's that he performs an experiment and turns himself invisible. Mm-hmm. So when he's actually invisible, he's a nude barefoot man <laughs> slinking around yeah. just doing his thing. Yeah, that's a good and point. So, the uh, the way that this movie, like, my very first note on this movie was, if this movie is not about incels, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> if it's not about, like, men feeling invisible, men feeling overlooked, I'm going to be pissed. And it very quickly, quickly was like, no, it's not about that. It's about, you know, the way that relationships can, like, specifically abuse can hang over you. That, like, this man has a presence, whether he's there or not, because yeah. he's influencing her behavior. And I was like, oh, that's so much more interesting because it's, like, completely centered on Cecilia's perspective, completely centered on what she's going through versus the Invisible Man novel is very much about, like, he, yes, Griffin is a psychopath, but he's also, like, realizing he's done this to himself and is just like, I guess I can never be seen by people again and that's upsetting to him. And he's, like, uh, talking about, like, the practicalities of having to take off his clothes to creep around uh-huh. and how like if he gets dirty, he he's going to be seen like and it's and it's very centered on like how horrifying that would be. There's, it's almost like a, a, a reverse body horror in that you, you no longer have a body. Yeah. And it's again, therefore, from his perspective. And so it's like this movie has zero sympathy for Adrian and rightly so. He's purely a villain and purely antagonist. And the fact that he has that power to remove the suit when he wants and then can also just be a person when he needs to be uh, makes him all the more powerful and all the more scary. Yeah, and all the more like of an effective metaphor in that way, because that's how people Mm. in those relationships are. Only the person who is suffering the abuse usually ends up seeing it or at least to, you know, the most horrifying degrees that that can get. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so then when he, yeah, he just takes off his suit and then can be like whatever he needs to be in front of folks, you know, say whatever mm-hmm. lies he needs to say, insinuate whatever shitty things he needs to say. Mm-hmm. So I think. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the monstrous parts are literally invisible. That's yeah, cool. Exactly. So especially because the people in her life like believe her when everything is grounded in reality. But then when it's like they know the dude is dead and she's saying there's an invisible person, that's when they're like. Well, that literally can't happen in reality. So then they stop believing her. So that's when it becomes a little bit muddy because then it's just kind of being like, well, victims just can never be believed. But at the same point, I think Mm -hmm. it hits home the feeling that, you know, no matter how much you can talk about and explain this stuff, unless it has happened to you, like when you're being gaslit, trying to describe when you're being gaslit can sound very innocuous to the wrong person who is not like willing to be receptive to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of hits on that a little bit as well, which is interesting. Yeah, I think that the the fact that they 
uh, as the movie progresses, like they take away her sources of safety. She has her sister initially, who's the one who delivers the news that he's been killed. And then she stands up for her in the initial meeting with mm-hmm. the lawyer where um, Cecilia initially gets the $5 million. She has this sister who is there protecting her and fighting for her. And she's not doing anything for herself. Um, it was kind of uh, like I did like it in terms of her going on a little character arc. But I also wasn't stoked on the idea that like just escaping in the night was enough. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like when people are in relationships like this, well, I think like, that's why you do what you can to get out. Yeah, it shows that, like, being able to escape in the night was just the first step, because that's when she's housebound mm-hmm. for maybe two weeks, and she can barely even leave. So she is still, like, crippled by his presence until they get the news that he's dead. And even then, she's, like, just flabbergasted about it. And especially because we know mm-hmm. that he said at one point he would still be there and would send her a sign even though she wouldn't be able to see him like he literally put that thought process in her head to be like Mm -hmm. i will still be here you won't see me but i'll be able to see you i guess and and i i feel like i'm just kind of coming to this realization in the moment the idea that she would have to go through an arc to like fully assert her power after having escaped like I would argue that the hardest part of escaping an abusive relationship like that is probably that first step. And that there's like more than enough bravery (laughs) in doing what she did in the very first scene of the movie. And then for her to continue her arc, it it is about, you know, dispelling the invisible man, the man who's not there anymore. But like, it's to give her that arc, it almost feels to me like diminishing the power of the initial step the initial like breaking off of it yeah a little bit it is not for me at all because i think like just because you get out of that doesn't mean you know how to live your life now like she had her entire life controlled by this man down to what she ate and what she thought even she's uh confesses Mm -hmm. at one point so it's kind of like when you were trapped in that now how do you be your own person again you spent so long being like mashed down into the ground until you were in the shape of whatever this person wanted you to be until you no longer have agency over yourself and now you do so what now like how do you even live <laughs> your life and so you can see her sort of trying to do that but like it's not just a slam dunk just because this guy is dead just because you have money Like, you've still got the trauma of all of that experience and, like, learning to get back to whatever your true self is. And that's not easy. Yeah. So I feel like it. you could see that as steps to kind of trying to overcome that and take control of her life again now that she's out. Because she still doesn't have control over her life yet. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it, like, it almost feels to me like, this is a movie specifically about the trauma that that, that comes after the end of a relationship. So I, I think you're right in that it's just about something different. I think maybe I'm just, like, Man, the biggest change for that character is to go from abused victim to person who is capable of escaping. And we get all of that stuff off camera. So I guess this is just another preference thing for me where I'm like, I'd like to see that movie too. I can see that. And also, because that's like, the she's... biggest change. That is that is a, a world of difference of a person. To yeah. be the type of person in that to the type of person who is capable of escaping. Yeah. The type of person who is capable of escaping and the type of person who is killing them is not as big a change as she went through off camera. I would also say, like, she has to stick to her guns and believe in herself that she is not crazy when this is happening, too. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, these insane things are happening. You could maybe think, is she being haunted by a ghost or something? You know, like, if we didn't know it was called The Invisible Man. Like, if that wasn't the title, (laughs) Mikey, would you think it was a ghost, maybe, that was attacking her? You know? Great question. 
almost say that like if you had titled this movie anything else, it would have been like a bigger, much bigger surprise even than it was. What if this movie was called Healing from Trauma? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what if some of these horror movies would just stop dancing around it and say, it's about healing from trauma, it's about growing up, it's about one of the three themes we keep talking about. Yeah. Well, I guess as much as, the, it, it, as much fun as it is to talk about the themes, too, but we were also talking about, like, the visual style of the cinematography that is really rad, but also just, like, the design of the suit itself, and the first time you see it when she dumps the paint on mm. it, that is such a good, like... I don't even think I would call it a jump scare. I guess a reveal would be a better way yeah. to describe it. That's just so good because you have no idea what this thing looks like. If you were paying attention and saw anything in the background, it was like very vague. Um, so when you mm -hmm. see it with all these like little pores, like all the, all the cameras, you don't yeah. know the cameras yet. So it's just like all these little dots covering it entirely. <laughs> he does look like some sort of cryptid. It's very creepy looking. Um, yeah. And I think the design of the suit itself in that way, especially where it's just like essentially cameras everywhere so it's like eyes everywhere looking at you as well like makes that mm. even more spooky i think we talked oh, about there call, was yeah. like a teeth monster that was just all made of teeth that we were talking about that was spooky once uh from yes. the channel zero tv show uh, i can't even remember what the name of the creature was but it's got a very distinct design and it's just a, a similar concept just take a human form and fill it with nothing but a single thing and that's creepy as fuck <laughs> <laughs> just works well it's also like it's it's a silhouette of a man yeah. but it's like faceless like it's inhuman mm -hmm. it's the reboot chucky as opposed to the invisible man's novels chucky chucky where it's like he's there and he's just like his skin is against the wind it's just you can't see it and so therefore he's like emoting and he's personable like this character is specifically devoid of a face <laughs> like he's mm -hmm. not a human being he's not somebody we can look at and empathize with He's a, a, a stand-in for something. I think that's my one my one issue. <laughs> it's another issue I have. And you tell me what you think about this. Sure. I wish we got more personality from him while he was the Invisible Man. I wish he was talking to her more. I wish he was saying more stuff. I thought at some point he was going to pull his mask up like Spider-Man when he gets an upside-down kiss. <laughs> and then we just see like a little sliver of a face floating there and talking to her. I thought that would be very fun. What do you think? So I think part of the frustration with that is so that you were in the character's shoes. Because for so long, he doesn't say anything to drive her more crazy. Because the more mm. he doesn't say anything, the more she doubts herself and the less proof she has. So it isn't until mm -hmm. he says, like, surprise, or until the suit is damaged and he's, like, blipping in and out of visibility that he says more stuff to her. So I could see it being appealing to have him be more taunting and just being kind of like, He'll say this stuff to her when nobody else is around. So then, yeah, that drives her more insane. But I think they went for like a little more subtle route, which I think works. But I can, again, if they did have him say more, I think that would also work as well. I think it could have gotten everything across, been the exact same type of movie, even with that. Um, so, yeah, I when can understand I, I like that, wanting like... to have more of that, too. I think that would be cool. Yeah, it does feel like, again, like if this is two different movies to me, like it does feel like it becomes almost a different movie once the sister is killed like the beginning of it when he's invisible manning around is very silly and that to me speaks to like that calls for a killer that's also funny right like when he's he like spends the first half of this movie kind of just pranking her in funny ways <laughs> like he just like steals her artwork so she's just like oh man <laughs> Like, turning up the heat on the eggs. It's just like, oh, this sucks. And then he 
<laughs> like it, it escalates very clearly. Like it's almost like these invisible man chicaneries that we get. Like, and that would be funny if he's taunting while he's doing that. And then when he starts to become murderous and killing everybody, then yeah, nameless, faceless camera monster. Huh. Okay. I guess I just didn't really feel like it was silly at all. I feel like it took itself so oh, really? seriously. Yeah. Which I think like a lot of horror movies are not aiming for things to be silly and they can come off that way. I think maybe it's just like how much fun you were having with the premise. I feel like I didn't get that from the tone of the movie. But now that you're like describing mm. it, I'm like, yeah, I guess I, I could definitely see that <laughs> being that way. Yeah, it's, it, it is very fun to me that like, you know, when you have an, and, and I think they do this, when you have an invisible man, you just have fun with how invisible he is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they do like, I'm enamored with the scene where, uh, Cecilia is cooking breakfast and slowly we see the heat turn up and it just slowly becomes a fire. It's just like, that's like a naughty boy thing to do, (laughs) not like an abusive stalker ex. And I like that. But again, it feels separate. It feels like a different thing. Well, I feel like he is just ramping up her being more insecure and feeling like she's failing. Like having her fail at something as simple as cooking breakfast. Like she's probably done it plenty of times before. And then now for whatever reason it like lights the house on fire then like she has an important job interview that's supposed to be like her next step in taking control of her life you know having financial independence and like having the Mm -hmm. confidence to do a job again and then that's gone and so that like and then she passes out too she hasn't even been drugged to her knowledge but then she passes out and Uh. is told oh you were drugged and then the doctor tries to tell her Oh, you're pregnant, but she can't even hear it because she's so distracted by that and then doesn't even hear that reveal for real until later. So he did God knows what to her for that to happen also. It is very funny how we both have been describing scenes from the same movie that we both watched. And when I was talking about like, yeah, he's just doing pranks. You're like, yeah, I guess I can see it that way. And just now when you're like, yeah, he's ruining her job, which is the next step of her taking control of her I'm like, oh, yeah, that's very serious. (laughs) Yeah. We're both like, like I think it, it is very much about like, what you're bringing to it. Yeah, and I think you're also turning on your writer brain too to be like, this is a funny idea they chose to do. So then you're like delighted yeah. by that too, which I think that's very true. I, I wrote down there's a moment where she like pours coffee all over the floor and uh-huh. sits back with a knife so she could see him walking if he did, and I was like, uh oh, she made the floor is lava for <laughs> for the invisible man. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I'm very much coming at it from this silly place, and then you know what I'm doing. I'm doing the thing. I think all of my criticisms of this movie are all coming from a place of like what kind of movie I want and that it kind of is that like it's not giving it's almost not giving you enough information to tell you what kind of movie it is. I feel like it sets a scene at the beginning where she is so terrified and trying That's to true. leave the house. I guess it feels you're more exactly like right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> more like a Boba right. Duke than a Chucky, which I think there is two different versions of this movie that like if you wanted to do this more like Chucky style where we have the uh villain reveling in it more openly instead of mm-hmm. like insidiously, like that would be very fun too. <laughs> I want to see that version of this movie as well. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. The movie opens with a scene that very clearly establishes this is a terrifying concept. Uh, yeah, it it might just be for me that the concept is so inherently funny. Uh-huh. Like, it, wait a minute. You, 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 this man is what? He's invisible? <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> that if I look at this man, I'm not going to see anything? Uh, so that whole aspect of it is so silly that, like, I was reading things that are very that you're exactly right are more dramatic than that but all my notes are just like look at him he's pranking him 
He took her art. Like that scene read to me is her like opening her portfolio and it's just like, blah, blah. Well, I think also this movie started as part of that horrible Universal Monsters relaunch that like started with the mummy re- oh, really? remake that flopped so bad and it flopped so bad. They were like, well, we can't like Johnny Depp was supposed to be the invisible man. And this was supposed to be a completely mm. different type of movie. Lee Winnell was not attached to it at all. But instead, they were like, we obviously can't do this. We can't throw money at this. This is a terrible idea. So then it got chopped <laughs> around for a bit until uh, Lee Winnell ended up being both the writer and director on this, which do you remember who mm. he is, Mikey? No. He's half of the team who made like Saw, the original Saw. So like him and James oh, Wan are like buddies. And uh, I think he also helped with then launching Insidious and um, some other stuff as well. Uh, but he also okay. took, like, input. So he did write and direct it, but then he took input from the main actress, whose name escapes me right oh, now. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss, to be like, if you think there's something that would reflect better on, like, a w- woman's experience of this kind of stuff, like, let me know, and we can rework it. And so she kind hmm. of, like, helped with some edits with things like that, too, which I think is pretty neat. That's cool. So it was made with, like, a much smaller budget, much more focused, trying to make it scary instead of... um like, yeah, the goofy mummy thing with, like, I don't know, there's a mummy <laughs> monster with four eyes and then that weird clip of Tom Cruise being in a plane and, like, making that same repeated scream noise that somehow made it into the final mm. cut that everyone was memeing on for, like, a week and then they forgot about it. Um, We should probably watch that, the mummy movie. I mean, I'd be down to watch it since I've never watched it before. I'll always be down for a new experience, but oh boy. <laughs> I am interested in what that movie could be. That would be like a fun watch party movie, I think. Watch it with like mm. an audience of folks and hang out yeah. and riff on it. That would be fun. But also, I'd be down to do an entire <laughs> episode for it. <laughs> uh, so, Mikey, was there anything else about this movie that you wanted to talk about or hit on? I just think it's very clear that all of Elizabeth Moss's, uh, Cecilia rather, all of her problems would be solved if she was a waterbender from Avatar The Last Airbender. I think I would agree with you 110%. She could totally reveal then wherever he, he was. Would, he would splash through the floating water she would have around her, and then it would be like, see, there's a, a man here. Oh, there you go. And hey, Mikey, if she can do the bloodbending thing, then she can know where he is and control him. That. <laughs> the table's <laughs> turned. <laughs> I want that to be the sequel to this movie, where she becomes like... I mean, that's, it is kind of interesting that she, like... The, the ultimate message of this movie is that, like, to ultimately defeat your abuser, you must become an abuser and abuse him. Like, she does his methods. She kills him, which is cool. And, you like... You think that's the ultimate me- message? Wait a minute. You think that's the ultimate message or takeaway at the end of this? That, or, like, that's kind what of? you got out of it, I guess. Not not saying that, like, your interpretation yeah, is I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I, that's what you got from it. Kind of. Yeah. She becomes a murderer she becomes i mean she literally becomes the invisible man she becomes the creature she has spent the movie uh fighting against i read it as she gave him every opportunity to change to try and own up to what he did he even killed her sister and acts like it was not like he has no compassion no empathy he's a sociopath a narcissistic mm-hmm. sociopath or i guess psychopath actually the <laughs> even worse we're elevated mm-hmm. um so she's like he won't change and he won't leave me alone. So in order to literally survive, I have to take him out and I'm going to use his own tools against him because that's what he used against me. So I would say in that case, she does that. But I don't get the sense that she is going to then like become an abusive person and visit that on other people. I feel like that's just her I, I, I also don't think I don't yes. think that 
is the case either. Although oh, okay. I do think that would be an interesting direction to do in the sequel. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they're, they're saying that, like, you must become an abuser, but, like, she must uh, take on his tactics and, and become a creature <laughs> the way he became a creature if she's going to defeat him. Uh, which I don't necessarily mind. Like I don't think. Like I don't. I don't think that there's like a morality <laughs> to, uh-huh. to how one gets out of uh, a relationship like this. But uh, it is an interesting like call. It's kind of the same message that we got from the most recent Scream movie when our main character like learns she's the daughter of Billy Loomis, the killer from Scream One, and is just like, well, I got to be a little bit of a killer, and then she ends up killing the killers. I don't mind that as a resolution for a horror movie. Like, you must turn into the thing you have been fighting. I think also with the way that she utilizes the technology of the camera and the wire and then the uh, cell phone call to be like, these systems that allow you to keep abusing me that have been put in place, I have tried to go through the official channels and they do not care about helping me. It's that whole thing where it's (laughs) like, well, unless you're dead, they're not going to arrest him, you know? And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. okay, then I'll be dead. So how does that help me? You know? Right. So she's using not only like his tool of the invisible suit, but just like the tools of societally, how he has been like Mm. trapping her and constraining her, I guess. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It does turn her into like a more cunning character and a more ruthless character, I guess. Um, I don't know. I was cheering for it at the end. I was like, yeah, yeah, good. He's dead. Good. Get out of there. Save your dog. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, me too. I want to yeah. be clear. Like, yeah, it ruled. Yeah. It ruled when she killed him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's, like, that second where her friend James, who is a cop, who, you know, we, we've talked more about, like, uh, movie cops versus real ones. You know, like, James feels like mm-hmm. an actually, like, morally righteous dude who wants to do right by his friend and do right in general. So mm-hmm. that even he is, like, looking at that situation is like, yeah, I'll compromise my morals objectively for that because, yeah, yeah you were free and, yes, he was a horribly dangerous man that's okay uh-huh. go ahead and uh live your life with your dog i guess mm-hmm. uh which i do appreciate how this movie does not commit the uh sin of many other horror movies which is killing a pet which to i di- i thought it was happening when she was creeping into the the house and about the midpoint mm-hmm. to and when she discovers the suit i was like they're gonna kill this dog yeah i'm upset about it that's also another little like hint that like the dog has been left there for at least two weeks and is not like starving or anything it's completely fine so like it has been being fed this whole time so you know that like that's a good call he's hanging around piece that together somebody's hanging around not piece it together that's cool so mikey we have a rating system down here in the scary basement Mm -hmm. so out of five severed thumbs what would you give this movie and remember two thumbs are our own yes Two thumbs are mine. Two thumbs pulled out of the box for four thumbs total. Uh, I love this movie a lot, and I loved the first half a lot more than the second half, and I was too upset when the sister died. So sad. We, we watched M- Malignant not too long ago. Yeah. And they kind of pull a fake out where the sister slash best friend gets killed mm-hmm. uh, at the end of that movie. And I was so upset when that happened, because that was my favorite character. Uh-huh. And... She's very good. I, I don't know. There's something like, it, I would almost say killing the best friend's sister is my version of killing the pet. Like, it's mm. too sad for me. It's just like, your life's not good anymore. Your, your fucking best friend is gone. Who cares how much you win? So it's very much a me thing. And it sounds like something we pieced together as we talked about this. There was a lot of me bringing my own stuff to this movie. And it made me like the first half a lot more than I liked the second half. So I got to take off one thumb. Just from my uh, non-objective per- point of view. No, 
know. I think I I completely agree with that. And the thumb system is how how we feel about the movie anyway. We're not making like a... I'm making a critical critique of, yes, it is uh, 3.65 out of whatever. To a degree. I would say sometimes we do. We are, but sometimes. it's like, you do whatever you want. If you want to vote with your heart, that's what you should do, I think. And I think that's where my that heart sister is. character is a very important character. And I think that's a testament to how in Elizabeth Moss's character, Cecilia's shoes, you are. That, like, you can empathetically mm. feel the way she does about it, too. Because she is absolutely wrecked by that. And, like, yeah. she carries that with her. Like, that's in the final moment when she's like, admit you killed my sister, you asshole. And maybe mm-hmm. I'll let you live. And then he doesn't. He, she's like, okay, well, then you're done. <laughs> yeah, horror movies have a really hard time with that where, like, you've got to kill Drew Barrymore in the first scene of Scream. And then all of her friends are kind of just like, so the big party tonight, huh? <laughs> like, they're still <laughs> – because the movie has to do it. Like, this movie is like, no, there are real stakes to it. When the sister dies, it's a real upsetting thing. Great. But yeah, so I actually also gave it four out of five thumbs, Mikey, because oh, yeah. I similarly really liked it. I think it did a very good job setting out what it did, it planned to do. I've never seen a movie that's shot like this in the way it was with like showing the empty scenes where he could be. And then every now and then they will kind of like show from his perspective in like a very threatening way, like strategically kind of, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool. Haven't really seen it done in that way. So I think just overall, it's a very good movie, not just like a good horror movie. It's a good movie in general. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, Mikey, do you have a question for me? I do. Roxy, this movie is about turning invisible. Oh, boy, is it. If you could turn invisible, where are the top five places you would go? Okay, top five. I had kind of a hard time choosing this, but I think we're going to go one after the other, right? So I'll say one, then you'll say one? Yeah, we'll okay. bounce back and forth. First one I would want to do, I guess, go. I would want to pull off some sort of heist against jeff mm. bezos so i can get some Ooh. money and then i can get some sort of info to use on him to uh make him less of a literal supervillain. uh maybe i like maybe that drag out his dirty laundry into the light of day i think that would be great mm-hmm. i don't know how i'd do it i'd have to come up with a plan a heist plan maybe we can both be invisible together mikey and do a tag team i don't know but uh, yeah yeah i'll i'll be invisible but just like in the truck outside <laughs> hacking into the security cameras <laughs> there you go perfect <laughs> my number one place I go when I'm invisible also involves crime. Oh. But a, a lot of mine are just like curiosity based. You know, there's a lot of things that just like I feel like I'll never get to see that I would just like like to see. Yeah. And so the first one is um, the big room at the bank where they keep all the safety deposit boxes. Oh, okay. Like, I just think it'd be cool to see people come in and open up their boxes and just see what's inside. And then, yeah, maybe I'll take a priceless ruby necklace for myself. You know, daddy likes a taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number two place? Uh, Number two is also another heist, but this time against Elon Musk for the exact same reason as <laughs> Jeff Bezos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hunting season against billionaires, Mikey. I'm invisible. I, I can like do this. whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I love this. What about you? All right. My my number two does require a little bit of explanation, so stick with me. Okay. My number two is the women's locker room, but not, but not Roxy, okay. while there are any women inside of it. I just want to know how it's different from the men's locker room. Mm, okay. What's so going like, on in there? All of our secret hidden compartments and uh, right. secret spa rooms that boys aren't allowed to use, girls only. Does the women's locker room have better soap? Does no, the women's we locker do. room have... Uh, Taller lockers. You know, I just I just want to see. So I just want to go in the women's locker room, but not while there are any women in it. 
What's your number three? My number three one is that I would travel the world for free. You don't need to pay for a plane <laughs> flight or go through customs or anything. If you got that suit, you just yeah. sneak onto a plane behind some folks. Uh, cut the line, <laughs> even. The, the moment can... you said that, I just pictured you like walking up to the actual plane itself and like grabbing on to the wing <laughs> invisibly. <laughs> the suit also has a complete life support system and I can exist outside <laughs> on the plane wing. It's perfect. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, my number three is the writer's room of a of an HBO drama, but not like a big, like not like the top HBO dramas like The White Lotus or Last of Us. Like I want to be in the writer's room for one of those mid-tier HBO shows like Girls. Like I know Girls doesn't have a writer's room anymore, but mm. one of those HBO shows that like is on for a while and it's kind of mid-tier. Like I'm never going to write that kind of show. And it would just be cool to sit around and listen to how those kinds of shows are written when you don't have like a ton of pressure to bring in, you know, Game of Thrones and you don't have the kind of like well, let's just pitch some more jokes on that. It's like girls is like kind of exists in the middle. And uh -huh. I just think that'd be a cool writer's room to sit in on. That's really cool. And that's very funny because it's similar to my next pick. <laughs> Ooh. Which was like sneaking into a movie studio lot to just kind of see what's going mm. on. You could dip into a writer's room that hopefully would be around there. You can see how they're taping shows or movies and stuff of all mm -hmm. different kinds. What goes on behind the scenes. Maybe see a couple of actors you wanted to see what they were like in real life are they really jerks or are mm -hmm. they big sweeties who knows you can find out i guess you could maybe even whisper in the director's <gasps> ear a little idea and then he'll yeah. think it's just like his idea but like you got your fingerprint on the movie then yeah exactly there you go perfect <laughs> <laughs> my number four is the back room of taco bell oh taco secret like i'm i'm past the age where i'm gonna ever work at taco bell and okay. just like What's going on in these people's lives? You know, like they're selling oh. tacos. Like, uh, how how do they make them? How do they make a cheesy gordita crunch? Like, I, it's just like one of those things that like I'll never truly grasp. You know, <laughs> I, I just am handed cheesy gordita crunches all the time. So, yeah, I just think it'd be cool to like see what's going down. Secrets beyond Taco Bell's doors. <laughs> yeah. What could they are be they hiding? microwaving them? How are they melting the cheese? <laughs> okay, Roxy, you got one more place. What's your number five place you would go if you were invisible? I would go see Hamilton for free. Yeah, Ooh, go see some that's a good Hamilton. Idea. And if I can see any other shows while I'm there too, why not? I, I can travel mm -hmm. for free to New York. We've already established that. Then I can go and see mm -hmm. a Hamilton show, sneak in there for free. They'll never know I was there, Mikey. It's the perfect crime. That's perfect. Yeah. What about you, Mikey? My final pick, the final place I would go if I could turn invisible is the women's locker room while there are women in it. Roxy, last week we oh made God. a bet. Uh, yeah, we're just going to gloss right over that. Yeah, we made a bet <laughs> last gonna week. We're going to move along. <laughs> what was last the bet? week we made a bet. Uh, how many people are killed by the invisible man? I said three. I said five. Well, we struggled with this one a little bit. Yeah, we sure the answer did. Is, the answer is five or more. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because we have three character deaths in that uh, the sister, the lawyer brother, and then the invisible man himself mm -hmm. are killed. The uh, the dead meat kill count, which we uh, we lean on, <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have needed them. They listed two of the police officers that the invisible man kills on his spree as official kills. But also, he sure does shoot and stab a lot more 
cops. Yeah, and so, he'll like throw them into the wall and they'll hit their heads in a way where it's like they're probably dead, but since the movie isn't explicitly saying it, you could be like they're knocked out unless mm-hmm. they're like shot point blank in the head, who knows, I guess. Right. So there was only like two super confirmed kills. All the rest of them I like when I watched that scene, Mikey, I just assumed every single one of them was dead. I did too. I absolutely so did. I, I was really surprised when I was like, oh, you know, I didn't think about that. I guess they didn't explicitly show it. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even as we're talking about it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, a lot of them were like shot in the leg yeah. or just like punched a couple of times. So mm-hmm. I don't know how getting punched by an optics designing billionaire, <laughs> if it kills you or not. <laughs> yeah. But in any event, however many kills there are, you won because you had the bigger number. All right. Which means our total score is Roxy with 39, Mikey with 28, Ty with four. All right. Here we go. I'm still winning. It doesn't mean anything, but I get a bigger number. It means nothing. Well, (laughs) who knows? Something ever, something could still happen at 30 when I hit it. Oh, God. (laughs) Didn't even (laughs) think about that. Hey, it's the demon bot here. (laughs) Here he comes. (laughs) Just uh, descending from the ceiling like he was in Mission Impossible. Ooh. He's practicing his uh, invisible man skills, maybe. Like, you know we can see you, right, DemonBot? You're not, like, dropping down on us with an invisible cloak. You know that, right? You can still see me. It was supposed to be fixed. You need to be a genius in optics. You you can't do this thing. You can keep trying, but unless you become uh, Adrian the human who is a genius at optics very vaguely, I don't think you can do it. Unfortunately... I only minored in optics at Demon Butler University. Mm, okay. Looks like I'll need another plan to sneak into the Vatican secret archives with a scanner. Anyway, for next week, you must watch the 2001 film Valentine. Oh, time for romance, Mikey. Are you excited? This is, I am. This is going to be sweet. <laughs> this movie has a real cast on it, Roxy. <laughs> We're it talking. It really does. David Boreanaz. Uh-huh. From Angel. Angel We're talking Hill. Denise Richards from Wild Things. Mm-hmm. We're talking Catherine Heigl from Grey's Anatomy and also 27 Dresses. Ooh. All right. There is a cast. And I think the, the main girl is played by the lady who is the deputy in Scream 4, which oh. I barely recognize she was the same person. It took me till almost the end of the movie to be like, I, where did I know her from? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Wow. A, a real scream queen, they call her. There we go. Roxy, we got to make a bet about this movie for next week. All right. Valentine. Uh, so how about we do another kill count? Why not? That seems right. That feels like this is one of those teen slasher movies that's going to pile up the bodies. How many kills do you think are going to be in the movie Valentine? Well, number five served me really well last time. So let's go five again. Okay. Five. Great. I'm going to say eight. I think we're going to up the ante okay. a little bit here. You were probably correct. I mean, it is like a slasher movie. So... Yeah. Honestly, if you don't win, I'd, I'd say they uh, failed. It's a failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, under-delivering on the promise. I know. Jeez, what the hell? So we've been talking about a lot of spooky, scary, invisible man things this week. So how about we talk about what's making us happy? So Mikey, what's making you happy this week? Uh, Roxy, one thing that I love is television. And one episode of television that I truly love is Marge versus the Monorail, an episode from season four of The Simpsons. Oh. Uh, it's officially 30 years old today. So one of my favorite websites, The Ringer, did one of them oral history articles on it. Wow. We'll link okay. it in the show notes. Neat. Um, 
Conan O'Brien wrote this episode of The Simpsons where uh, Springfield ends up getting a, a surplus and is trying to decide how to spend it. And this shyster uh, con man comes to town and sells them a monorail. Oh my God, yes. The and song it's just in this movie, in this it's, episode. It's got a song, oh. yes. <laughs> it glides as softly as a cloud. <laughs> uh, we just got to see Conan O'Brien talk about it and what it was like to write this episode. That's and so it's kind cool. of just about this weird confluence of like very specific influences that he has. Okay. Like he'd always been kind of like interested in this like bizarre semi-futurist version of public transport. Mm-hmm. And then there is a movie I haven't seen, but I am very interested in seeing now, The Music Man, where we, uh, it, which is about a huckster who yeah. comes to town and <laughs> sings all these songs. Mm-hmm. And then he specifically mentions uh, these Irwin Allen disaster movies from the 70s. Oh. Where in the Simpsons episode, when the monorail goes haywire and is like careening through town, it becomes a disaster movie. It's mm-hmm. about them trying to stop this monorail from destroying the town. And that comes, Great. it's just like one human being had all these weird little interests mm-hmm. and he just like was really honest about them and like what intrigued him about them. Uh-huh. And he wrote this episode of TV that's just like a classic that's going to be remembered forever. It's really beautiful. That's amazing. That really makes me want to rewatch it as well. How fun. Me too. Yeah, I rewatched it for sure. Rad. Well, I want to go read that article right. and rewatch that episode as well now. Hell yeah. Do it. What's making you happy? The thing that's making me happy this week, actually, was I did a marathon Twitch stream. But guess what, Mikey? It was unplanned. I did not mean to go that long. I was just having <laughs> such a fun time that I looked at the clock. It was 9 p.m. Then the next time I looked, it was 3 in the morning. <laughs> oh, that rules. I got, like, so many cool raids from new people and old friends. I got to meet a bunch of new people. I was playing Final Fantasy fourteen, as you might have guessed. Uh, so I got to meet... Yep. Like, the acquaintance of a bunch of cool other people in the game. Some of them were fellow content creators. And it was like, what? Small world. Whoa, whoa. We're, like, doing the Spider-Man mm-hmm. point at each other. Uh, which was really neat. Um, and then after... You can do the Spider-Man point in Marvel Snap if you both make the same move at the same time. You can put a little Marvel Snap sticker where the Spider-Man pointing. Uh, it's dangerous. Anyhow, go ahead. Mikey, do I need to tap the sign? Did you download it again? <laughs> <laughs> While we were recording this episode, you did, didn't you? <laughs> I'll never stop downloading it. This is my life. <laughs> Promise to Sorry, me. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it was super fun. Um, and then afterwards, I got to raid a friend of mine who has been, like, a Twitch friend for years. And, like, he was also doing an unexpected stream that he didn't plan to do. Like, he was playing a game, and then halfway through, he ended up switching to just chatting because, like, he got a huge raid of folks, and it completely changed the vibe of his stream. But he, like, went with it and had a great time, too. Like, I came in, cool. and they were doing karaoke. I was like, what? <laughs> okay, this is rad. <laughs> So just really, really fun time. I ruined my sleep schedule, but at least I had fun, Mikey. Yeah, Twitch is worth it. Twitch <laughs> is fun. So now it's time for Haunted Plugs. First of all, make sure you follow Scary Basement on Twitter at Scary underscore Basement and on Instagram at Scary Basement Pod. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp. And then I'm also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. Rad. I am on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy, and I am on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy, where you can find me streaming there three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Also, make sure to give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening to podcasts. Also, leave us a review. You know that helps us out. Another way you can help us out is by checking out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC Radio. Just go head on over to patreon.com slash supernpcradio. Sign up there. You can get bonus episodes of Scary Basement where we cover horror video games. 
as well as a monthly super NPC episode from me and Roxy, where we talk about more video games that aren't specifically horror, as well as the years and years of content from everybody else who loves video games over at Super NPC. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. And as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by Demon Robot. See you next week. Thank you.